As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, uh, happy off-season as we're recording this the day after the national championship game. So first of all, um, congrats on a great season. It was wonderful to share a press box with you for the national championship game. But more importantly, happy off-season. Excited to get some sleep. Yeah, do, do we have an off season in college football anymore? I mean, even today we've got mm. transfer news happening. We've got, you know, you and I are at the NCAA convention. It really is. It really never ends in the sport anymore. Okay. Well, I was, I was, I was trying to be optimistic, but you're right. It's basically the last three or four years. The off seasons have been even busier than the seasons, which is actually part of the reason um, that power hour will continue on through the off season because there is always something to talk about. So don't worry about that. We will be back each week throughout the off season. And obviously you should still subscribe, rate and review the Andy Staples show and friends feed, which obviously will also continue on through the off season because the stuff never stops. Um, and I'm sure I will be joining Ari and Andy throughout the off season as well. But before we get to whatever shenanigans are to come this off season, I am excited to bring you today's episode of power hour. Chris and I will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And, you know, some of our uh, subtitles and subsections have some pretty good names. So if you get a little thirsty, just grab a cold one. It's fine. It's the off season. We're celebrating a great season. And also, honestly, TCU fans probably still need a drink after that. So, Chris, let's get started with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds. And it's time to move on to the next I will let you take it away. Number one, the national championship game. Georgia wins 65-7. to Not only is it the largest blowout in the history of the national championship, it's the largest blowout in the history of any college football bowl game. Ari, you know, got his time to gloat about what he expected to happen and how it turned out. Uh, I think... None of us were surprised by a Georgia blowout, but a, a record-setting performance like that, I don't think any of us quite saw that coming. So not the most exciting of games 
uh, that you and I watched in the press box at SoFi Stadium. No, it was not. And it was one of those games where, like, the line was really big coming in. We knew Georgia was a heavy favorite. But the game spiraled out of control quickly. There was a moment early on when TCU got on the board and it looked pretty easy that they were able to move down the field, stretch the field vertically. And it felt like maybe, maybe they are ready. Maybe they can hang in there. And that did not happen. Um, So yeah, it was a very anticlimactic end to the season. Felt like we got two great semifinals for the very first time ever. And we could not have all the good things. We could not have a great national championship game as well. Which brings us to number two. So the game was not a great game. And listen, we know that TCU doesn't have the world's biggest fan base in the first place. People thought that Georgia could possibly do what Georgia did to TCU. So maybe they didn't tune in as much in the first place. But they sure didn't stick around. The viewership numbers for this game were, honestly, again, very as expected. Um, the ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU combined numbers, it was an average of 17.2 million viewers for Georgia's win over TCU on Monday night. Easily the lowest rated, lowest viewed, least viewed, whatever the right way to describe that is, CFP title game since the BCS era began in 1999. So again, not a shocker. Game was lopsided. It was over very quickly, but yeah, it was a dud. Look, it turns out that when you're looking at TV viewership, the game being good matters because we I don't think we had time to talk about it, but the semifinals hit a five-year high for viewership, and that was on New Year's Eve. So, like, having good games plays a role, and everybody could tell very quickly in this game that it was not worth sticking around. I've seen ESPN uh, talking heads on different shows talking about they switched off to law and order or watching something else so even the people aren't exactly towing the company line that they wanted to stick around and watch that game tcu fans that tcu fans did, did show up well in the stadium i thought it was like 55 45 split they did they did in favor of georgia maybe yeah but something I've, I, like that yeah. i mean there was definitely a lot of purple but they're just it's like i was asking people this before the game i asked you right how big is this school you did ask and actually, I'm going to look that up right this very second. The enrollment for 20, that's 2017. But uh, it, it looks like it's about 12,000, a little more than 12,000. So it's a small school, no doubt. But again, the New Year's Eve games got good ratings because it was a good game. So ultimately, you don't play a good game, you don't get a good rating. Number three, the College Football Hall of Fame class uh, was announced. Some notable names, including Reggie Bush formerly of USC, formerly uh, in some NCAA trouble, still not a a holder of his Heisman Trophy. Tim Tebow, Dwight Freeney, Luke Keekley, LaMichael James, Robert Gallery, uh, got a few others in there, Eric Berry, Robert Gallery, uh, on and on. Uh, Pretty pretty good class, I think. College Football Hall of Fame's tough because there are so many players in this sport, obviously. Uh, but that's a pretty, you know, Tim Tebow and Reggie Bush headlining your class. That's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. A couple uh, fun thoughts I had related to this. One was in the post game, Kirby Smart had a lot of great one-liners. And he was asked about Mark Richt entering the College Football Hall of Fame. He said that he texted him 
you know, during the afternoon, congratulated him. Mark Rick texted him back right away and was like, kick that ass tonight. And, you know, they, they listened. I think they, did. they listened. So I, I, I do enjoy the fact that, first of all, I, I enjoy Mark Richt. He is wonderful to spend time with, to talk to. Um, he's done a great job with the ACC network. Uh, you know, everyone loves working with him. I love that his relationship with Georgia was not forever tarnished. We have mm-hmm. seen this a lot of times with coaches who've been somewhere for a really long time and they make a difficult decision. Um, but he has been able to, to maintain that. And, um, just like that little story from, from Kirby smart, uh, as, as well as, as he shared that about Mark Richt getting in. Um, and you know, I, I do think, Another tidbit was, as I think about the Hall of Fame and the College Football Hall of Fame, we've had this conversation for a couple of weeks now after Mike Leach's untimely passing about some of the the standards, the minimums that you have to hit to be considered for the College Football Hall of Fame. Obviously, the win percentage for a coach is something that should be looked at for Mike Leach because of where he coached and obviously being so close to it. But someone made this point to me, Chris, as well. Stetson Bennett is not eligible mm. for the College Football Hall of Fame because he was never a consensus yep. All-American. First consensus first team All-American. So there are some things, there are some problems with the way that they do that. But you're absolutely right. There are so many players that play the sport, lots of great candidates year in and year out. So congrats to all of those in the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame class. Number four. This was interesting. I was talking to SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey during the National Championship game weekend, and he came out really strongly against the December early signing period. This is something you and I have talked about. We've talked about it on this show. December doesn't work. We have ranted about this. We have really driven this point home, but they threw in a transfer portal window on top of an early signing period, on top of bowl prep, on top of coaching carousel season. And now you're going to be adding more rounds of the college football playoff. So Greg Sankey, I'll, I'll just a couple of highlights, a couple of quotes, quote, we're crushing coaches in December. We're going to add playoff games. We have to change early signing. He said, you know, they've been created more pressure for young people with the transfer portal windows, which was part of the transformation committee that he co-chaired. But all of the things that are happening in December are applying pressure and creating these pressure cooker environments for very important decisions being made in a short period of time. He feels that we we have to change December and college football to support the health of our participants and our leaders and conduct the games. I would suggest we have to pivot back. Maybe it doesn't have to be the first Wednesday in February like it is, but we have to get through the postseason. We have to get through coaching transitions. It ought to be done in the appropriate time frame. It should not be disrupting seasons. So this is an interesting stance to have. I completely agree with it. It is a big voice to be making these points. Greg Sankey is also saying that basically he's worried that they're going to run off the good coaches out of college football because of all of these other pieces that you don't have to deal with in the NFL. And it's an interesting offseason topic. We've said we thought it was going to be one of the primary ones coming out of this offseason. It was something that was discussed at the uh, AFCA Coaches Convention this week as well, although you had some different opinions from Todd Berry, who runs that, talking about maybe you move 
up the early signing period ahead of the transfer portal windows. I don't think that solves this either because, again, it just continues to encroach on the actual regular season and encourage people to fire coaches earlier. So all that to be said, Greg Sankey, very supportive of the idea of either getting rid of the December signing period, moving back to just one signing period or whatever it might look like. But that is a big voice to have that stance and to have the coaches back because we've heard from a lot of different coaches who were just absolutely fried with how December went. Yeah, the college football calendar makes no sense because it's not pro sports. You know, you have to do things in certain periods of time. The NFL, you fire coaches after the season. You've got a draft period later. You've got free agency later. It's all like laid out in a way that generally makes sense. College football throws it all together in December, and they throw one thing on top of the other. And I think I may have told this story on this podcast before, but like I was talking to a coach a few weeks back who was on the road recruiting high schoolers while also in contact with transfers they were recruiting while also thinking whether or not he should take a job at another school while also preparing for a bowl game. Like this was all happening at the same time. That's not tenable for anybody. I, and yes, I know a lot of coaches at the highest level make a lot of money. It's not about that. It's about making this like, just make sense for everybody. It's not good for the kids either. I think as we've seen, you know, happens every year, but you know, we saw the comments from the Colorado commits that our, our colleagues, Grace Rayner and Manny Navarro talked yep. to about Dion comes in and they just straight up never basically heard from Colorado or they heard from the AD or they didn't get a response and they had to, these kids have to find a new home at the last second. So some of these things you can't change. You can't, the transfer windows have to happen at that time because kids need to enroll for the next year. The transfer window being when it is, is going to keep coaches getting fired early in the season. But the signing period part is something you can move back to, to closer to where it used to be um, and, and, and ultimately go from there. Now, there's a concern that do, do, do teams take too many, too many transfers and then fewer high school players as a result? I don't know, but it, it, December is a complete mess for everybody, and I don't think anybody really likes it. Yep, and I'll also mention I've talked about the idea or written about this in a mailbag uh, on The Athletic about the idea of maybe you have a summer period. Maybe, you you know, for the players who really don't want to be bugged by coaches and they're really ready and they know where they want to go and they do it before their senior. Talked about that with Greg Sankey as well. He said, listen, that opens up its own problems. Every Every possible solution is going to have repercussions. And one of those with that is you still would have to deal with the potential of a coaching change during the course of that season after you're already signed. So, listen, this is something that needs more discussion, and I think it will get that this offseason. Greg Sankey believes that they can fix this if there is support for changing this, that it is something that could be done this offseason. Number five, Nicole, you and me are currently in San Antonio at the NCAA convention. We are. We took the 930 flight out of L.A. to come to San Antonio. There were some commissioners on our flight. There were some athletic directors on our flight, some other writers on our flight. So, Nicole, why are we here? And more importantly, the Transformation Committee. This is the culmination of a lot of work over, over, I think, more than a year's worth of time or something like that. What is the Transformation Committee? And, And people who are just only kind of peripherally paying attention, what are you and I looking for this week? Right. So this is the annual NCAA convention. Um, There is not expected to be a ton of news. Last year, 
the big storyline was about changing of the constitution so that division one could reframe the way that it governed itself, reform some stuff. And that's really what's been happening over the last year with the transformation committee. Greg Sankey was a co-chair, Ohio university athletic director, Julie Cromer, the other co-chair. So they formally put out their recommendations last week. We covered it. You can go in the weeds on the athletic if you want. Um, but like the high level uh, synopsis of this is they're trying to do things in a couple different tracks. So they were trying to set basically minimum standards for division one, which is not the same that it's been forever, which is like, here are the amount of sports you need to sponsor. It is like, here's what you need to commit so that the athletes are having more comparable experiences no matter where they are. So like some of the new, you know, membership expectations are going to be like, you know, the commitment of like a mental health counselor and different areas of, of committing resources to support the athletes. Um, and then there's other there were other changes and recommendations around just like more athlete direct involvement in governance. Um, there are some changes to the way that they're going to structure the governance model. Each sport is likely to run itself. Yes. And have the ability to actually make decisions and pass things quicker without layer and layer of bureaucracy. So that's important for all of the sports that don't have like a football oversight committee, that don't have oversight, that don't have these groups. Um, But also those groups will be able to move faster and make decisions. And then the last piece is championships. So there's a bunch of recommendations around championship experiences. And the big one there was they did recommend – that 25 for sports that sponsor over uh, a championship and there, there are over 200 participating institutions in that sport, which <clears throat> men's basketball, women's basketball, thing about March Madness here, that the postseason bracket should be about 25% of however many schools participate. So, the thinking behind this is that these conferences have gotten bigger, Division One membership has gotten bigger, and they want to increase opportunities. So think about baseball. Think about some of these other sports um, where there's been snubs and there's been teams you could argue were deserving to have made the bracket, made the postseason that didn't do it, and that's really where that's coming down to. But that is going to be a decision that is going to be up to each individual sport. So before you get all freaked out about 90-something teams in the NCAA tournament, it will be up to the leaders of men's basketball to decide whether or not they think that they need to expand the bracket. Yes, we're not coming out of this with a 96-team tournament or anything like that. Uh, the idea is that there would basically be a basketball group can, that can kind of work that out. So a long ways away from figuring that stuff out, but this is a lot of work that a lot of people put in for about a year and uh, basically culminates now. The transformation will be complete. Yes. And again, they they didn't ask for that <laughs> word. We've said that before. Um, so if you think it's underwhelming, they didn't say that we're coming out here and promising transformation. So anyway, you and I will talk to a lot of people here this week. Um, we will also hopefully get to meet the new NCAA president, Charlie Baker. He starts in March. So it's just one of those weeks. We continue the networking that we did all around the championship games. So- Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Speaking of the championship game, let's go back to that for happy hour. This is a part of the show where we talk about something that is good, something that is enjoyable, something that is positive. And for Georgia fans, it's going to be a great offseason once again. Back-to-back national championships. Stetson Bennett, we talked about this all last year. He's gonna, he can drink in the state of Georgia for the rest of his life. I mean, he's also going to be in a lot of record books and goes down as an all-time great quarterback because not many quarterbacks have won back-to-back national titles. Chris, where I want to go with this is do we think that we can start using the word dynasty as we talk about Georgia? And do we think that they could do that they could actually have a three-peat here? I do not say dynasty yet. My rule is you have to have three titles in some kind of span to be a dynasty. Could be three in a row, could be three and wait, four, wait, three wait, and five. Wait, 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 so, wait. So did, did you never refer to Clemson as a dynasty? No. I don't think Clemson was a dynasty. Did you? I think they were, they were kind of coinciding you, with Alabama at the same time. I think I used, I've used the term dueling dynasties, and I, I stand by that. But, 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 but that is, isn't programs, that an oxymoron, though? How can you have dueling dynasties if they're happening at the same time? Because together they were head and shoulders above the rest of the sport. A sh- how about, what about a shared dynasty? That's kind of what that is. No, because they're not working together. Yeah. Anyway, I, but, no. but, anyway, okay. So you, so you don't think you you think it's too soon to have that conversation? About I think Georgia. it's too soon to say dynasty. I think it is the proper time to say this is the new overlord of the sport. The, the everything goes through Georgia now. Like they have passed Alabama as the top dog. Uh, Alabama is still very good. Nick Saban is on the, you know, the college football playoff show. A lot of it still revolves around Alabama because we have been, because Alabama has been doing this for more than a decade, but Georgia's the top team right now. Georgia's the top dog. They are the new standard two in a row. Uh, the way they've gone about these games. Yes. I think Georgia is, is has surpassed Alabama right now. Yes, they have, and I was ready to say that when they beat them. Um, real, actually, really, probably when Georgia thrashed Tennessee, it just sort of felt like that culminating with what we saw from Georgia to win the national championship last year, it just felt like Georgia was the gold standard in the SEC, so therefore Georgia's probably the gold standard in the sport. I think because of the way they won the national title, it not being competitive – them exerting their will against TCU. And I think the way that they did it offensively, plus you take away 15 draft picks. Um, Again, Kirby was uh, in a a mood after the game, and he should after back-to-back national titles. And he was talking about how Stetson Bennett came in his office a couple days after last year, and he was 
talking about wanting to come back and try to win another national title. And Kirby said something like, you know, I thought it was, you know, I told him, hey, we're going to, you know, you're going to lose a lot. It's, it's not going to be as easy. And I don't know that you would ever say it's easy to go undefeated. We saw them no. get pushed at different times throughout the season. Missouri. Um, we, we saw the Missouri yeah. game. Yep. We saw that game. We saw how close Ohio State was to beating them as well. But Kirby did talk about how this team was different. He said that last year's team was probably more talented, which I think we would all agree with. But this team was able to beat everybody on their schedule. Like Stetson Bennett was straight up like, listen, we, we just, we just played everyone on our schedule and then we ran out of games and <laughs> we beat everybody, you know, like it was, it was just, it was just one of those types of teams. And I think because of the emphatic way it ended, you had some conversations or some people at least trying to stir it up talking about if this is one of the most dominant teams ever. I don't think that that's true, but I can see why in the knee jerk reaction, people say that, but like 2019 LSU was the most dominant team that we've seen in recent years. I I mean, if you go position by position on that team, right. But this is just, you know, when you look at the lopsided score in a national championship game, like absolutely it's fair. But I'm with you in general. I mean, I do think that Georgia's the standard now. Kirby has no sign of letting up here. I mean, they just continue to sign top five classes almost every single year, um, if not every year. I, I don't have the, that number offhand. And they're going to do that. And and Alabama is going to be up there. I mean, they just signed the number one class in the country. Nick Saban is not retiring that we know of this off season. He's not going anywhere. He's going to be back. But I think when you turn, you know, when you're looking at, okay, who do you have to knock off to be the top dog? It's Georgia. And I do think, you know, we're seeing it already in the early betting lines. They are the favorite as we sit here in early January uh, to, to win it all again. Cause I think you saw the way that they handled the, the pressure of repeating and, and they handled it and they succeeded and they did it again and people think they can do it a third time. I decided to look up 2019 LSU while you were talking. This team beat four teams that were ranked in the top four at the time they played. And how many? One, two, three, seven teams ranked in the top ten. So it's going to be tough to top 2019 LSU. But I'm that's not to take away from what Georgia has done. Early odds for next year, Georgia's the favorite. Depending on where you look, Ohio State, Alabama are two and three, then Michigan. And after that, it gets pretty bleak if, if you look at some of these places. I, I, well, I, I think that's okay, right. though, because of what we just saw, right? It's like, understandable. There is still a gap. Yeah, there. it's understandable. You're coming off of the games, coming off of the semifinals. Um, we did not mention this in the in the Power Five, but Blake Corum announced that he's coming back to Michigan. So they, they will be loaded and they're rightfully in that top grouping depending um, on who their head coach is potentially Chris yeah depending on who their head coach is Chris um what did you make of everything in the post game where all of these Georgia players were like oh my god everyone doubted us people thought we were gonna go seven and five like it was incredible because it wasn't just one player like to me this is Kirby Smart master manipulator master psychology student me teacher I don't know like he somehow got this team to believe that people doubted them 
like from start to finish this season. It was to a man. I mean, I heard it from so many different Georgia players after this game. I think that is remarkable that he somehow figured out a way to put a chip on the shoulder of the defending national champs. Yeah, I, I see some people get almost like angry or offended by that, and, and I'm not that. I mean, yes, this team won the championship last year. It started at number three. It quickly became number one. It trickled back down to number three at one point, but then beat Tennessee, and they stayed number one the rest of the way. I don't know who told Nolan Smith that they were going to be seven and five. I would like to meet that person, but I do think it is a fascinating look into the psychology that these programs have to to keep that chip on the shoulder. Like Stetson Bennett had a great quote uh, before the uh, Peach Bowl about how. You know, not long after winning the championship, he was sitting in class and he realized, oh, nothing has really changed. In order to get back to where we were, you you have to give that same amount of ridiculous amount of effort and time that you put into winning the championship last year. And I think after Georgia had its scare against Ohio State, they all kind of realized that again. And this team was absolutely not going to lay another clunker out there or, or at least have have some issues. I remember a couple years ago, it was what? Alabama-Washington playoff game. And I think Holly Rowe found some bulletin board material around the Alabama locker room or something that was, it said national media uh, was was criticizing Alabama. Just see completely made up Photoshopped headlines that weren't even good Photoshopped. And, and, and like, that's the kind of thing that like probably goes on in these programs that we don't know about. Like you have to keep these kids focused because they're 18 to 25 years old at, at this point. But like, it's hard to be consistent every single week in college football. Really, really hard. And so you have to do stuff like that. You have to convince kids that uh, have been the best at what they do for a long time that someone thinks they're going to go 7-5. and five. And apparently they did. It's incredible. And we're not going to play it on this podcast, but go search out Kirby Smart's pregame speech as well. It will fire you up. Uh, do not listen to it around small children. There was a lot of language that they should not be listening to. But, yeah, he's got the pulse of this program. I mean, he can get them to to believe and act and play however he wants them to right now. And it is really a special thing to witness. Now, Chris, before we switch gears here, as we wrap up happy hour, I want to ask you about your first national championship game. This was the first time you've covered this game in person. How was it? I'm sure we've got a lot of listeners who have never been to one what was it like? Everything but the game was was good. I mean, honestly, I remember the pregame going out in the field, walking around for a while. I remember when when TCU made it like ten to seven, and then honestly, the rest of the game is mostly a blur because it just I kind of just lost track after that point. But it, it was a really cool scene. The playoff people really do a good job to make this feel like a big deal, to make it feel like a college football Super Bowl. I know sometimes it doesn't live up to that. Um, but you know, I got in late Friday night, early Saturday morning. We had the media day, honestly, in our jobs, one of the most enjoyable parts of covering the new year six of the college football playoff is that teams are required to make basically everybody available to the media assistant coaches at places like Georgia, who aren't allowed to speak very often. They're available players. You didn't get to talk to they're available. And as, as a result, we're able to put together some really cool stories to show you some insight into some players and people that maybe you didn't know about enough. So I, I appreciate the playoff for doing that. 
But uh, I had a heck of a time. You know, usually this time of year, I'm at the coaches' convention. Um, I've done that for more than 10 years in a row. So this is my first time out to the championship game, and, and I had a heck of a time. And if, if your team makes it, uh, I, I feel I feel weird saying I recommend you go to the championship game. But they really, it is really a first-class setup that they do here. It is. It was, again, everything about the game – the lead up, it was exciting. It was fun. We saw a ton of TCU fans all over. There were a ton of them in Santa Monica. Georgia fans were everywhere. everywhere. They were in like every, every hotel. hotel. Um, and and I was in there the 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 hotel that the team was staying in, at the JW downtown, and they were just it was it was everywhere. And they, and they were everywhere in Indy too. That that is an incredible fan base. But um, yes, please go uh, if you can afford it. It is, it is a special experience. And SoFi Stadium was really cool. I know Chris wants to get into that a little bit um, in the last call, so we'll get to there in a second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for On the Rocks. This is the part of the show where we talk it out. There's friction somewhere in this sport, and we are going to work through it. The first Rocky relationship I would like to talk about today is, is personal. This is about Georgia fans and myself. Now, it's been an ongoing feud in one direction for about a month now. I tweeted when the Heisman Trophy finalists were announced, that I didn't think that voters should have voted for Setson Bennett to be a finalist, <laughs> that he wasn't one of the most outstanding players in the country, and that I felt voters, which I'm one of them, there are too many of us, there's almost 900 Heisman voters, I felt that it was a vote of laziness because it was people saying here is the team that was number one for most of the year who's the quarterback and they weren't looking and seeing who we think is actually the best player on that team and right all those other other factors or if you take Caleb Williams or Max Duggan off their rosters what would that team's record be I was thinking other quarterbacks could be plugged in at Georgia and they would still be undefeated. Now, after the national championship game, after watching Stetson account for six touchdowns himself and play nearly flawlessly in the entire postseason this year, in this year's CFP games, last year's MVP of the championship game, back-to-back years, I wrote an apology an open apology to Stetson Bennett, who, again, he's had so many doubters. I can't imagine that that tweet was remarkable for, for him as, as someone who's literally been doubted by his own coaches and his own fan base. But a lot of fans were upset about it. And I wrote off the championship game, and if you're upset listening, please go read it. It's for you. That I'm sorry. Stetson Bennett is a special college football quarterback. He is, the, he is someone who was – 
the absolute right quarterback at the right time for this program to win national championships. He's going to go down as an all-time great college football quarterback. He's so smart. He he understands coverages, diagnoses things really quickly, knows when to use his legs, um, the precision on the passes. Kirby, after the game, was talking about the checkdowns and some of the 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 way that Stetson responded so quickly. He thought it was his best game that he's had as a college football player, and he was Kirby was stumping hard for for Stetson in the in the NFL and really wants someone to give him a real opportunity at the next level, thinks he can play at that level for a long period of time. But part of the reason that he is so unique and the reason that there are so many doubters is because we're so used to seeing surefire first-round quarterbacks in these national championship games, winning these national championship games, these, quote, generational talents that we have every, like, two years. But we're, we're so used to seeing exceptional quarterback play and the storyline coming into last year's national championship game was, was Stetson Bennett good enough to win a national championship? If the game came down to his arm and everything on his shoulders, could he do it? And he did. And then you still had him and Georgia fans wondering, could Georgia upgrade at that position this offseason? And so anyway, I wrote about all of this and coming to terms with the fact that that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if – Stetson Bennett was one of the most impressive individual performers of the season, which is kind of the way that I view the Heisman. Like I think it's an MVP slash MOP type of award. It doesn't matter. Like I was missing the point on Stetson. Stetson is a special college football quarterback and he was the guy to lead Georgia on the brink of this dynasty. Or if you want to start using the word dynasty, he was the guy. And um, so anyway, my apologies to all the Georgia fans who've been feuding with me over the last month. You were right. Enjoy your second natty in two years. I'll say what I said when the Heisman finalists came out and that this whole problem could have been solved if you just invited five people and Hendon Hooker was there. I would have a lot less of an <laughs> issue with they, that. Yeah, they, that they, it. It wouldn't have felt the same. I would not have fired off that take. Yeah, exactly. No, I would not have fired up that take. And like, again, he was fourth. Um, there were drop-offs, right? Like we saw how the voting finished. But, um, but listen, I get it. I get it. Georgia had not had a Heisman Trophy finalist in a really long time. I understand. Look, however, yeah. uh, the ultimate trump card is is winning another national championship. Uh, so Stetson had the last laugh, and he he was really good reflecting on all of that about how you know if you had told him five years ago this is how your career would have gone, he wouldn't have believed you. And also that you know you could say you've been doubted and have that chip on your shoulder as much as anyone. But you have to actually be good enough for that to matter and to play well enough that that became a thing that we talk about with him. And and he did that. So congrats to Stetson. Congrats to all of his many Georgia defenders it, out there. In a peek behind the curtain, I was with Nicole when she decided, you know what? I think this is what I'm going to write off of this game. And I'm pretty sure it was the first quarter <laughs> when when uh, when you made that. It decision. was actually it was actually before the game. I came up with the idea, um, our pal Ari Wasserman, I was thinking to myself, what would Ari Wasserman do in this situation? He would write that yeah. column about his personal feud. Uh, Ari, Ari um, was preparing his own apology in case TCU won and didn't have to do it. Instead, it was you. Yes, yes. Um, and all the interventions that would need to continue to happen all offseason had they won. But I did know 
in the first quarter that that was going to be what I was going to write. And Setson wrote the column for me. It was basically done. At yes, it was. It was done before the game was over. So, so a peek behind the curtain at how this works uh, for some of us. Yes. Um, okay. So, Chris, the other um, Rocky relationship on the rocks topic I wanted to ask you. I'm going to just go open ended here. The way that the season ended for TCU, an embarrassment of this, the, at this stage, this lopsided of a score, does it take away from what TCU accomplished in the rest of the season? Because you covered this team a lot. You've been around them. You followed Max Duggan around after this loss. Are they going to be able to get over the way that it ended and celebrate all the things leading up to it? One thing about Stetson Bennett is his performance. Remember, he was going up the Heis- going up against the Heisman runner-up. Max Duggan finished second. Stetson Bennett finished fourth. Pretty clearly, he out- Stetson Bennett outplayed Max Duggan in this game. And it felt like for TCU, you know, Max Duggan had struggled at times this year. We knew TCU had had to make comebacks before. But typically, if Duggan started out struggling, TCU stayed in the game and they were able to figure it out, whether it's Oklahoma State or Kansas State or Baylor or whatever. Georgia was just so unrelenting that TCU just never had a chance to get its feet under itself and, and figure it out. And it was it was done before they knew what happened. And it brings up one of my favorite hypothetical questions to, to talk about. Not, it's, it's, it's almost like one of Ari and Andy's would you rathers here. But if you're a fan, would you rather lose a big game like that in a blowout and a numbing blowout? Or would you rather lose in a heartbreaker? I'll tell you, I'll tell you so, myself first. I am team heartbreak because I think I'd rather have something like memorable from the game. I want the game to be fun. I want it to be entertaining. So I want to be entertained. If, if I go, if I spend a bunch of money and go watch my team and I don't get an ounce of joy out of it because they get destroyed. I don't like that. I was surprised at how many fans responded to me on Twitter and said they would go with blowout because then they can move on. It's easier to accept you are not as good of a team. Um, I think it might depend on the team. But like if you're Alabama, obviously you want you, you you're in that position. But if you're TCU and you're in that position, I felt bad for the TCU fans who went all the way there and didn't get to really celebrate almost anything. I also felt bad for the ones that got rained on because despite the fact that this is a mostly indoor stadium, uh, we all got rained on because of the sides that are open. So there were legitimate puddles and mist and rain. And so that seemed to be a very miserable experience for TCU fans. Um, so I, I think that... A close, heartbreaking loss is better because you you were there. You were right there. You were good enough to win it. I think what's really hard about the way that TCU lost is that you had so many people come away from that game saying they shouldn't have been there. And that's a tough thing to hear and to process and to think about because you got to the national championship game, but then you were just absolutely – you know, out outclassed on the field. You weren't. You didn't look prepared. You looked slow. You looked tired. You didn't look as physical. You didn't look as fast. You didn't look. You know, like it was just. It was everything. So I think you would take a close, heartbreaking loss over that almost 
in, in almost in any situation because I think the worst possible outcome is for people to come out of that game and say you didn't deserve to be there. Right. And and I and there was a lot of that last night. And I made the point a lot of I made that. the point. No, TCU absolutely deserved to be here. They literally beat the number 2 team in the country, the undefeated Michigan Wolverines to get here. They won their way into this game. This is not like the BCS blowouts of the past where you got voted in basically as the number two team and then we turned out it turned out oh maybe you didn't deserve to be here tcu deserved to be here they just got their ass kicked yeah but here they did but here, here's another question would the game have been closer if it was michigan or ohio state well we we know yes for ohio state because it was um but with right. michigan i i don't know because michigan's not at the talent level that ohio state is that's why you know, people picked Ohio Michigan State. Michigan beat Ohio right. State. And TCU beat Michigan. This is the whole thing I had with my final 131. I went Georgia 1, TCU 2, Michigan 3, Ohio State 4. I think the AP poll might have been the same. It's like, you know, the head, the, 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 the common opponents for Ohio State and TCU are favor Ohio State, but the, the, the common opponents with Michigan, it favors TCU. So it's, it's I don't know. Like, my, my ultimately, like you said, I followed Max Duggan around after the game. Most of the reporters go off to Georgia to write that. Obviously, there were a handful of us who stuck around to watch TCU. And, man, just like this TCU team was fun. This this TCU team that went 5-7 and seven last year, fired their coach, you know, everything that Max Duggan went through, everything that this team went through to get here, it it, it was one of the most fun stories of the year. It was, it was a season that makes anybody believe that they're one year away from turning things around and going on a big run and every fan base needs that every fan base needs a little bit of hope that hey if things bounce the right way we might be in that playoff we might uh get it get a shot and yeah they completely fell on their face in the national championship game but that was a heck of a fun team a fun season max duggan gave everything he had he was bleeding in this game in the first quarter uh, already uh, so just shout out to tcu for an awesome season and uh, just a fresh face in the playoff. It was nice. It was. And hopefully uh, the answer to that question is that they can celebrate everything else that they accomplished this season and that this result does not sour all of that. I would also just say I was having this debate as well, and I'd be curious your thoughts. So tweet us your thoughts um, at Chris Manini, at Nicole Auerbach. Would you rather be a Michigan fan, an Ohio State fan, or a TCU fan coming out of this postseason? I think could make an argument for each of them for feeling better or for feeling worse than the other two fan bases. So let us know what you think coming out of that. Chris, before we wrap things up, it's time for the last call. Cheers or jeers. This is the part of the show where we, you know, it's the bar's closing. It's the end of the season. We're wrapping things up and you know we just want to have one last drink one last cheers one last call and um i am going to i'm gonna let you go first because mine's a little offbeat mine's a little goofy so i think you have a couple kind of serious ones so so i'll let you go first well i don't know about serious <laughs> so well as serious as they ever are i, I kind of had two here one was a cheer and one was a jeer the jeers is for the designer i guess of sofi stadium you mentioned it but we get down to the field before the game and it was cold like it was legitimately cold like it was in the low 50s i think and like we're all bundled up some of us had jackets and stuff like that there were blankets in the the press box because we're all a bunch of wimps but 
there was a breeze inside the stadium. The flags on the top of the, the goalposts were waving a bit. And this is technically an indoor stadium. And yes, I know it's LA. It almost, I know it almost never rains here. But when it does, it causes a, a, a pretty big problem. As we saw, as you mentioned, with the, the people, fans on the top concourse that were slipping all, all the rain and stuff like that. So very odd experience from a weather perspective for the championship game. But the other one I wanted to talk about, I guess this is a cheers for a positive attitude, I guess. So after we talk with uh, the TCU players in the locker room, um, we come out of the locker room, most everybody else heads back to the press box. You know, we're down to the bottom of the stadium. Most people are heading back. I decided to just kind of go off to the side and stand there and sit there for a while, wait for Max Duggan to come out just to kind of observe and just kind of see how he's feeling and everything like that as, as he leaves the stadium. While I'm waiting, a uh, paramedics come by with a stretcher, and on the stretcher is a Georgia fan with a big old bandage on his head. Looked pretty serious from far away. And as they're getting closer, I realize this guy was probably pretty drunk. He's like wiggling his feet and stuff like that. And his buddy's taking pictures of him and he's like smiling, giving a thumbs up. And as they come by, I go, what happened? And he goes, I fell on my ass. Go dogs. <laughs> and just gets wheeled away on the stretcher. So I don't know if he slipped on the water. I don't know what happened to this guy. But this guy was on a stretcher with a potential serious head injury. And all I could think about was that his Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship. So I'm glad that guy's night wasn't ruined. Uh, by injury so cheers to him he probably had plenty of cheers last night yes cheers to him as well and and to all the georgia fans um (laughs) my mine is kind of um it's it's a cheers and a cheers to myself um but it's a cheers to the playoff for successfully creating a mascot that i enjoy uh perry the pylon we have seen him he's on merch He's the, like, plush pylon mascot. And I love pylons. I love the pylon cam. I'm a fan. So I love that this became a thing. And here's the part where I have to make fun of myself. So I purchased a Perry the Pylon, little, like, plush stuffed animal. Not an animal. Plush pylon, like, stuffed pylon toy. And I was like, you know what? This might work for, like, a Zoom background. You know, I do cover the college football playoff as an entity. I, I like Perry the Pylon. Then I found out that other reporters, including some of our own colleagues, got Perry the Pylon stuffed pylons for free. I was going to say this. I was going to tell you Now everyone, everyone has been mocking me for paying like $24 for this thing, including our pal Roger Sherman at The Ringer, who sent me a text message and a photo of a selfie of him and Perry saying, I've been told by your colleagues to send this to you to make fun of the fact that you bought one of these and I got one at Media Hospitality after the championship guess game. Guess what? I, so, I, I, guess what? Wait, cheers. wait. I was that colleague. I was with Roger when he got the w- when, when the playoff uh, person, Katie Cavender, came over and gave him I the pylon. And I said, I and we that, said, you need I to send this our, to Nicole because she bought one and she's going to nope. be upset. That was me. <clears throat> I was mentally ready for that moment because Stuart Mandel already had also gotten one for free. <laughs> already rubbed it in and was like I told him that I bought it so this is a cheers to Perry the pylon and a cheers to Nicole Auerbach for paying to get one but it is a very cute little thing and I will put it on my zoom background so take that I did I, take that I did not get a pair of the pylon stuffed animals so at least you have one 
But I actually... It's not a stuffed animal because it's not an stuffed animal. Stuffed pylon. I, I don't think we can yeah, call it Stuffed that. plush, plush yeah. toy. Stuffed... Uh, I, I, I don't have one. Thing. I do have a stuffed t-shirt thing. with him on it. But I do think it's a pretty good uh, mascot. We, we were actually talking with Katie Cavender with the playoff about how it came up. And it I think it sort of started as a joke or something in Slack. And then they eventually went forward with it. And it makes it like the other option was like maybe like a goalpost someone said or something, but you can't really do a goalpost mascot. Pylon, pylon is makes better. perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, the pylon, pylon, pylon is much better. Um, so again, shout out to the CFP for inventing a mascot in one of the things that I love the most, the pylon and pylon cam. Perry the pylon. It's a perfect place to end this week's power hour and our post-national championship game recap pod Again, we're going to be here all off season because the sport never really stops. It is 12 months a year and we will be here for all of that with Power Hour. But I did want to thank you all for listening to the regular season and the postseason editions of Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening and we will see you soon. (music) 